I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to today's podcast. This episode is a conversation with Tiana, the director of Beyond Conflict. This is a conversation that does have sensitive topics included, mentioned, referenced, I even swear in this podcast episode. So it's definitely not for little ears and please use your own um, discretion as to whether or not this is a suitable episode for you to listen to if you feel it may be potentially triggering and harmful for you to listen to the information in this episode, please practice your own discretion there. I will make sure we have a lot of information in the show notes as well, because some of this information may bring up feelings um, of wanting to take action or perhaps wanting to share this conversation with a loved one. So I really want to make sure we have as many of the resources as possible in the show notes so that you have somewhere to go. Now, before I tell you a little bit more about Tiana and today's conversation, I wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by a meditation app called Heavily Meditated. And I am a huge fan of this app. So let me tell you a little bit about this wonderful app. It is designed by Caitlin Caddy, who I connected with over Instagram. And I have her book on my coffee table. I love her book. I love her philosophy. And this app definitely delivers and is in line with all of her, I guess, guiding principles and teachings. This app is designed to help users turn meditation into a habit that sticks, to kick stress to the curb, and to reap all of the benefits of a happier, calmer, and more intentional life. Heavily Meditated's unique library of meditations suits all moods and attitudes. It allows users to select a meditation based on their favorite technique, the amount of time that you have available, or just the general vibe that you have that day. Vibes that you may select from include rise and shine, self-love, funk busters, clear and focused, positive and present, bedtime bliss, and many more, which I love. I really like that you can choose a meditation based off how much time you have, because I think that's the one thing that stops so many people from cultivating this habit. You think, oh, I know it will only take five minutes, but I don't even have five minutes. There are so many things I could do within this time frame. but just going, no, okay, I am going to dedicate five minutes to feeling clearer, 
to practicing more self-love and care. So you really can set the precedent, set your intention and know that you're going to achieve the result. I love that Caitlin talks about how busy minds and busy lives are welcome. She has meditations, as I said, from five minutes up to 20 minutes. It has many fun features to inspire users to keep coming back for their daily dose of heavily meditation. (laughs) Features include an inspiration deck for hits of solo inspo, daily intentions for good vibes throughout the day, and meditation reminders, which I think is important. It's nice to have that prompt, you know, that prompt on your app to say, hey, you know what? It's time to check in with yourself. It's time to keep up with your practice. Caitlin is on a mission to make meditation more accessible to people worldwide. So Heavily Meditated donates a portion of its profits every quarter to support organizations that provide mindfulness, meditation, and yoga programming education and tools to Indigenous communities. Heavily Meditated includes unlimited access to 10 free meditations to begin, but to access the entire library, you can upgrade and pay a monthly fee of $13.99 Australian or an annual subscription fee and have access to the whole library. I know that when I think about spending $14 a month on this, it's definitely a great investment because, I mean, if I just bought two, three coffees, a round of coffees for my girlfriends, it's more than that. So having this on hand is wonderful. You may even like to take advantage of the lifetime access to the app for $189.99, which is a limited time offer. So that means you have it. It's yours for as long as you have your smartphone, as long as you can access it, you have that lifetime access to the heavily meditated app. So the link to this app will also be in the show notes as well. And I'm really grateful to Caitlin and Heavily Meditated for creating this amazing tool, which really can help to unlock so so much peace and calm in your day. So definitely check it out. That's Heavily Meditated app. Now, back to today's conversation. So as I mentioned, I am speaking with Tiana from Beyond Conflict in this conversation. Tiana is a compassionate and nationally accredited mediator who works with individuals and organizations to resolve conflicts and disputes in a fair, just and reasonable manner. She acts as a neutral third party and assists clients in negotiating mutually acceptable agreements and successful resolutions in a broad range of settings. Tiana is passionate about helping individuals and groups to define and realize their preferred outcomes. Her mediation style focuses on negotiating agreements that benefit all parties. Now, Tiana reached out to us. She sent us a beautifully thoughtful email about sharing her story with domestic violence and her experience in emotional abuse here on the podcast. And I have to admit, it was one of those topics that kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable because I am not super well versed in this topic. But I want to be. I want to learn more about it. I want to understand more about it. And yes, There are parts 
of it that are uncomfortable to consider because when you imagine someone being in this situation, someone that you love or, you know, just (laughs) when you think about this, it's really, really hard to imagine and hard to fathom how difficult it would be to have a domestic violence situation as your reality. And it's so nice to explore this topic in what I hope is a sensitive way. And I hope that Tiana and I are able to provide some food for thought on the topic and perhaps some practical actions that may be helpful for you if you are in this dynamic or if someone that you love is. When it comes to domestic violence, the statistics and findings are pretty terrifying and it's hard to turn a blind eye once you know this information. One in six women and one in 16 men in Australia have experienced physical or sexual violence from a current or previous partner that they have lived with. 25% of women and 5% of men have experienced emotional abuse from a current or previous partner that they have lived with or are living with. 17 adults were hospitalized every day in 2016 and 2017 due to assault by a partner or another family member. One woman is killed every nine days and one man is killed every 29 days by a partner. This is scary stuff to consider. I hope that this conversation provides some food for thought. We might not get everything right in this chat because it is a delicate topic, um, but I hope, I just hope that it provides food for thought and as I said, hopefully some, some takeaways for those listening. So thank you for choosing to hit play on this chat with Tiana. Diana, thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me today. I'm excited and a little bit apprehensive because it definitely is a really, really sensitive topic, but I'm so looking forward to exploring this with you. Me too, Kylie. Thank you so much um, for, for having me on. Of course. So... In the introduction, I mentioned that you are the director of an organisation called Beyond Conflict. I would love to know how you came to be in this position. Sure. Um, so it's um, Beyond Conflict focuses on conflict um, resolution. So we offer mediation services both for individuals, families and organisations. Um, specifically, we focus in and I guess within the ethnic um, communities, so those individuals um, that come from a culturally diverse background. Um, I guess for myself personally, how I got um, well, how I got to be where I am. I guess um, it was through um, personal experience with domestic violence. Um, And I guess it seems easy to kind of define what is domestic violence. Um, However, when I actually attempt to kind of explain, and and I always use the wrong word, it's not explain, it's actually share and tell my story, um, what I went through, um, I feel like I have to be very precise in the words that I use and I have to be very careful on the details that I actually share. So most of the time I tend to overshare and predominantly because I still feel the need, I guess, to justify um, that what I went through wasn't fair and it wasn't just and it wasn't reasonable. 
Um, and I guess the process that I went through um, resulted in professional growth. Um, it resulted in personal growth um, and the birthing of Beyond Conflict. And I imagine the term domestic violence, you know, we are, I think most of us are familiar with that term, but it really does encompass so much. And so I can appreciate that you probably do have that tendency to go, yes, I was in a domestic violence situation and then share all of the ins and the outs. And as you mentioned, I guess, in a way to justify, but also just to explain and give more clarity because, you know, we do, we hear that term domestic violence, but often if, unless you're in that situation or you know someone that's in that situation, that you sit down and you really get clarity on exactly what sort of things fall under that umbrella term of domestic violence. And so I would love to explore that with you today. But sure. just just for our listeners, I wanted to also mention that before we hit record today, you and I were chatting and we both agree that whilst it's important for you to share your experience, it's of the utmost importance to keep it in keep in mind that it's your story, your experience, but you do have a son. It's his story, it's his experience as well. And you really want to sort of stay in your own lane with what you share. So I really, really appreciate that. And today, please don't feel that you need to overshare and you don't yeah. need to justify anything here. <laughs> um, more so just, I guess, for those of us who are uninformed on the topic, we've not lived it ourselves, we don't have loved ones who have gone through it. What are some of the things that, I guess, do fall under the category of domestic violence? Yeah, sure. So I think you're, you're absolutely hit the nail on the head. Um, my Protecting my child has always been kind of the main focus throughout this process. And thank you for, for giving, I guess, a bit of a disclaimer. My goal is to really share my story in a way that is respectful to my child and in a way that won't cause harm to relationship that this relationships, shall I, sorry, shall I say, that this child has with certain individuals, um, you know, in, in his life. So I guess for me, defining domestic violence um, is basically any act that's perpetrated against me that causes me to feel fearful and that I have no control over. Um, my, I guess, you know, for example purposes, my partner is doing something, I want them to stop doing that, whatever it is that they're doing, um, they won't stop doing it and I can't stop them. So I guess that's a bit of a broader um, definition. And I think it's really important that people understand that there are high-functioning domestic violence victims. Now, I still choose my words carefully around that as well. And I choose them carefully, to be honest, because I think and I worry um, how my words may be twisted. So even though this is still my story, I worry how my words may be used against me after the end of this podcast. And specifically, what I mean by that is that I think people have an assumed preconceived expectation of someone who is experiencing domestic violence. So I'm not sure what someone who is experiencing domestic violence looks like, to be honest. Um, all I know is that in my personal experience, I didn't look like a victim. Um, and just to give you, I guess, a bit of a background when it came to that, um, at one of the court hearings um, when I went to um, attempt to get a domestic violence order, um, I advised the registrar that I was here and I was here for, for the particular case um, and she asked me if I was the victim's lawyer. 
And I kind of replied to her with, no, no, I am the victim. And I think I realised at that particular um, at particular moment that it, it, people have a preconceived idea, you know. If you're not battered and bruised in this specific moment when I see you, are you really going through domestic violence? Mm. Um, it was difficult to, I guess, um, well, it led to over explaining to people who were, who were very close to me because um, I have been known to be, you know, um, fairly opinionated or to be, to, to basically kind of, kind of have it together. Very yes. well educated. I've, I hold a master's degree in HR. Um, I have been in, in senior HR positions. I've worked um, in the Middle East. I've worked in Europe. I've worked for, you know, quite large multinational organisations. And I did have it all together on that front. But when it came to my, um, I guess, emotional state or, or, or personal life, I had also been um, in a domestically violent relationship for probably most of my adult life. And I definitely felt like um, I was living a double life because although I held it all together, um, I was pretty much a high-functioning domestic violence um, victim. And I think just to, you know, very specifically answer the question, I think that, you know, domestic violence is anything that makes you feel um, fearful, anything that you can't stop. Um, and, you know, it's difficult to put it, is it, um, you know, is it, physical? Is it emotional? Is it um, financial? Is it religious abuse? What type of abuse are you experiencing? And I don't think that we should focus on that. I think we need to focus on how I'm feeling as a victim and why am I feeling that way instead of, well, let's define what type of abuse you're suffering. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think you're very right there because so many of us, we we're conditioned to think of someone who is being abused to be a weak victim, to obviously show signs that they're being abused. You know, we all have heard of someone, you know, arriving to school drop-off and they're bruised or whatever it might be. Or yes. you see someone and you just know, you think, oh, they're a shell of their former self and something's definitely off here. And yes. that's absolutely the case for some victims and some situations but as you said the flip side is and we know this just based off the statistics because if we look at the statistics alone we know there's not that many women walking around that fit that mold to make up the numbers of the statistics so um, so we have to recognize that Often domestic violence situations are not looking like that battered woman syndrome. It is the woman who's showing up, she's on time, she's polished, she's got her shit together in her career, she has a voice, but we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Mm. And I guess that can be a little bit tricky for people to understand how can you be high-functioning in one area but be so vulnerable in another area and so I can oh, appreciate absolutely. what you're saying about living that double life and it's I can imagine would almost bring another layer of guilt of going hey I know I'm capable I know I'm strong look at all these things that I'm doing so it just you know it's more guilt it's you know another layer of why can't I get out of this situation yeah. how did I get in this situation Exactly. And that's exactly how I felt. And I felt um, it was difficult to, um, you know, what are the ramifications of me not showing up to work? 
you know, people say, oh, well, you still went to work. Yes, I did, because what are the ramifications of me not showing up to work? Um, when you are in a relationship, I guess, where you're, for example, being financially controlled, you not showing up to work could result in you not getting paid for that day. And what does that then result in? Mm. Um, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a difficult, I guess, mould um, or a template to go by. And I think it's difficult for victims as well to kind of explain what they are going through because those are the common questions that people will ask you. Well, we, what were you? What do you mean what am I? What well, were you physically abused? Were you financially abused? Were you psychologically abused? Were you sexually abused? And you think that and you go, well, what, well, what is it? You know, what is physical abuse? Is it when he spits at you while holding your six-month-old baby? Or is it when he kicks you in the shins during an argument? Um, is it when he punches you from the front seat while you're sitting at the back seat with your children? Or is it when he throws your child's shoes at you because you didn't get the right ones? Is is that physical abuse or is that something else? And I think, it's, you know, yeah. Sorry, and I was just going to say it can, I guess, I imagine feel a bit blurry because if some people have in their mind the definition of physical abuse is a punch so then they might accept a slap because in their mind that's Correct. not as severe and I guess this all comes down to I imagine a lot of what we're brought up to believe is acceptable. Yeah absolutely and I think I mean the biggest learning to be honest from beyond conflict um, has been that different ethnicities have different standards that they actually accept um, to be honest, within my own community, and that's the only community that, that I can, you know, quite clearly um, and, and speak with um, in confidence because I belong to that community, but within my own community, there are certain things that women to this day still accept. And we're talking about second, third, fourth generation Australians um, who are, you know, of a specific ethnicity who have grown up in Australia, whose parents have grown up in Australia, who have been educated on, you know, aspects of domestic violence and, and aspects of sexual abuse and things like that. And yet still within their own community, within their own families, they accept certain behaviours and they do not define those certain behaviours as domestic violence. And I think with the individuals that I have spoken with um, through Beyond Conflict who belong to specific ethnic communities, that is kind of the first um, aspect that I educate myself on. What is acceptable in your own community? And I begin to, well, I would call it re-educating. I think I re-educate women about is this really what you accept because you're choosing to accept it and it is acceptable to you or is this what you accept because you have bring brought up like that and you have been brought mm. up in a way to accept certain things that are actually very clearly in Australia defined as verbal abuse. Yes, yeah, see, cultural nuances are something that I'm really not educated on in this, in this field. So I think that that's a really fascinating point to bring up. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, and there are certain things that, you know, we, we as women accept because... This is what um, culturally we are preconditioned to kind of abide by um, what we are, you know, indirectly brought up by. And I think with, um, yeah, with Beyond Conflict, that has definitely been a huge learning for me and, and that's why I enjoy focusing on the ethnic communities because sometimes even though these um, women are 
you know, as I said, first, second, third generation Australians, I think that the environments that they have been brought up in um, have often resulted in lack of education of what are your rights in Australia. Mm-hmm. Just because your law in your country states X, Y, and Z, is that applicable in Australia or is this something that you think because of your parents, your grandparents, your community, your cultural background, the you know ethnic community belonging to and things like that? It's really, really interesting to sort of, even just as a thought exercise to go, oh, yes, of course, of course, there are so many different nuances amongst um, cultures and, you know, religions and everything like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I can imagine that can be tricky. And like you said, it's not a clear definition. And that's, I guess, what you were saying about it's really not so much focusing on what the actual act is, but it's more the recognition of what that act invokes so it's the feeling out of control feeling as though you don't have a right or that you actually cannot stop that behavior but what about tiana for the women and men who just aren't sure i mean they're so conditioned to think that what's happening to them is their fault so they might not even feel empowered enough to go I don't, that, you know, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's all well and good for me to sit here and go, oh, well, if someone kicked me to me, that would be abuse and I would want that to stop. But that's ignorant of me to think that everyone would think that way because so many people would think that they deserve what they're getting. And oh, absolutely. That it's their fault that yes, the definitely. They love is treating them that way. So when someone's in that mindset of going, I deserve this. It's my fault. I did the wrong thing. I bought the wrong shoes. I held the baby the wrong way. I looked at, at him the wrong way. When someone's in that that sort of a, a mindset, how do you then get them to realise that they are in a domestic violence situation if they believe that they deserve it? Sure. I think I think my goal would be to... If you are ever unsure, and I'm not not saying you're unsure whether you're being abused or or you're experiencing domestic violence, I'm saying that um, Australia has great services from a medical point of view. Um, So I would always recommend seeing a professional. And and in order to see a psychologist, um, from my understanding, you need to see a GP first. Um, There are lots of free services out there, but I would always recommend that if there is something on your heart that you are not quite comfortable with, so for example, you're experiencing a volatile environment um, in your home life and you don't know where to go and what to do, I would always recommend to go to see your general practitioner, your GP. And the reason being is that our GPs are cluey enough to be able to refer individuals to other services. But from another point of view, it's not uncommon for men and women to go to the doctors. So it's a safe environment. You don't have to explain to your perpetrator where you're going and why you are going there. So your first initial step in order to get help or to get assistance is to go to the GP because guess what? It's acceptable, doesn't raise any red flags, and it's safe. Once you're in the GP's office, you can then share as much or as little as you want about what you are going through, um, and they will then advise you where to go. And I think that first initial step is sometimes missed because there's a common misconception, I'm not sick, so I don't need to go to the doctor. 
Mm. And I completely can understand why certain individuals would think that. But at the same time, it's a safe way for the door to be opened to other services. And another thing, it's also um, a good way for your experience and and what you are going through to be recorded, to be documented. Um, exactly for, what I was just about yep. to say. It was on the tip of my exactly. tongue and I'm like, and, and yep. that side of it too. Absolutely. But I think even if we just go back a step before someone realises they need to book into their GP, going back to if you're in that situation and you're just like, oh, I'm the worst person, I'm creating this, I've chosen this, you're so low, you feel, you, you just, you can't even imagine going to your doctor because you just think that you deserve it, which I, I don't mean to harp on about it, but I think this is the reality for many people. Perhaps one of the gifts of having children in this situation is to is that it kind of, I imagine, forces you to shift gears into thinking not only just about yourself but about your child and that might oh, then inspire you to take that action of going. Because if you're, if you're on the fence and you're like, uh, do I, you know, and I don't mean to make light of it, but if you're on the fence of going, do I deserve this? Did I create this? Is this just my lot in life? When mm. a child comes along and you have this beautiful, innocent baby, you can't help but look at that child and think, is this a life I would want for my child? Oh, and so definitely. I think just, I wanted to touch on that because perhaps for anyone who's listening and they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's not that bad. They reason themselves out of it. If you look at your children, if you have children, or even if you imagine having a baby with this person or bringing a life into this world, and there's any part of you, there's any sort of physical reaction to you thinking about them having this as their life, that is the little spark. That's the thing that I want you to feel led by. You know, if you can't be led by your own self-worth or belief that you deserve better, be led by trying to do a little bit better for your children. Oh, Kylie, you've hit the nail on the head, absolutely. And I think personally for me, um, you know, can I justify raising a male that would behave in a way that I feel is inappropriate, um, specifically towards a female? Did I want to raise a son who would later potentially um, do things that I completely disagree with and that I define as domestic violence. Um, And then my answer was very clearly no. And I think focusing on bringing your children up and giving them you know, the best opportunities that you can, both from, you know, yes, giving them the best opportunities when it comes to schooling and what you feed them, but for their mental health, giving them the best start in life um, from a peaceful space um, was very, very important to me. And I knew that um, for various reasons I couldn't offer that. So you're absolutely right. That that was definitely um, one of the clear signs of can I offer my son what I need to offer him and, you know, um, can I do that in the environment that I'm in? And it was a very clear no. And I think that that's truly one of the, the gifts of parenting is that it does, for a lot of us, it levels us up because sometimes we can't do these things for ourselves, but we'll realize that we can do it because we have, you know, this person, this being or these beings that we have such strong, unconditional love for. And it's, you know, similar to when I talk about self-care, if you can't practice self-care for yourself because you're not quite in that headspace, think about the impact of practicing self-care 
for role modeling for your children and then that can be enough to sort of spark a bit of change so I just wanted to touch on that because yes absolutely getting into your GP is the first port of call but I just wanted to sort of I guess tap into the fact that maybe you need to psychologically take yourself somewhere else to get that spark to make the phone call yeah that yeah I was just just gonna say no you're right so many things to say getting into your GP we are really lucky in Australia to have the mental health care that we have so that's brilliant in terms of getting referred and then also recording what you're going through because should you end up in a situation where you do need to go to court you've got that that there recorded yeah definitely absolutely I think just to go back to what you were saying about um, self-care that is definitely kind of one of the first I guess phases that um, you would kind of I guess, potential, if you wanted to leave an environment that you're in, self-care and self-growth is the first step um, that I recommend and and that I kind of advise. And the reason is that when you can focus on yourself and self-develop and self-grow, you can make decisions that are clear with a clear mind. So you can then decide um, that, you know, at this stage, I need to seek professional help. So working on your mental health and physical health so that you can be at a point in time when you make clear decisions with a clear mind is really, really important. And one of the, I guess, the, the three phases that I kind of talk about um, with my clients is the first phase is self-growth. It's self-preservation um, and self-growth and focusing on developing and, and working on you so that you can do this on your own terms. Different people and different personalities have different requirements there are lots and lots of um, emergency services for domestic violence victims which are absolutely perfect Um, but however there are certain requirements that you need to meet in order to be able from my understanding in order to be able to actually access some of these um, emergency services so you need to be for example in immediate danger is my understanding for one of these particular services but what if that is not the way your personality works? What if that is not how you work as an individual? And to be honest, Kylie, that's not how I work. So I wanted to be able to offer um, my child specifically safety, stability and sustainability. I wanted to be able to offer something that wasn't a quick fix. I didn't want to go to an emergency shelter and wake up on Monday and not be able to go to work. I didn't want to be able to um, not drop him off to kindy and needed to that everything was consistent and stable and something that would cause my child the least harm, if that makes sense. Um, Some of the women that I've spoken to have often actually said that, you know, I don't want to traumatise my children. I want to be able to leave and I wish he or she would let me leave so that it doesn't cause trauma to my children. And I think one of the, that, that was, you know, something that really resonated with me. How do I do this um, so that it doesn't actually cause trauma to my child? Um, and I think I did that because I was able to really, really plan um, what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. Just to have that scaffolding in place. And like you said, there's so many different situations. So for, you know, family that is in immediate danger don't let I guess what's a point that I want to stress here is if you have the option 
to plan and have that consistency of going, okay, yes, I'm confident that I can still continue with my work. I'm confident I can continue with daycare and school drop-offs. Like if you have the ability to do that, of course, that's going to be a great option. But if you don't have that ability to do it, don't let the fear of traumatizing your child by removing them from that situation keep you in a other traumatic situation sometimes you're going to have to choose your pain point like there might be no great option here you know if you stay in the situation it's fucked and if you leave the situation it's fucked and it's just going okay what's the lesser of two evils and doing the very best that you can because I don't want people to get too caught up in the semantics of going all right I need the perfect plan to exit this if you're just in that mindset of okay I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to you know, take advantage of these um, immediate services. There, there are just going to be times and situations where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, but taking the path that you know is going to yield the best long-term results, you know, give yourself permission to do that. Oh, absolutely. And I think every you as an individual know what your family needs and you know what you need then and there and I think it's really really important it's really important to think about what is best for your children what is best for you and like you've said you know don't put things off if it's going to cause you um, harm or if it's going to be something that's life-threatening absolutely go ahead and, and do what you need to do to get out of that situation and to be honest no matter how hard you want to work at making things perfect and God knows I'm very much someone who wants to have all my ducks in a row that is not the reality of certain situations. And I can't stress mm-hmm. that enough. That is absolute. There are certain situations where there are too many variables. Um, and even, I guess, consulting with individuals and having gone through it myself, I look back and I think, well, I wish I could have done this and that differently. But I have definitely learned, Kylie, that with what I had at that particular time, the information that I had in the situation that I was in, I did the best that I could. And hindsight is a great thing. But I didn't have that information when those things were happening. And I think um, doing the right thing for you um, at that particular time is the most important thing. Yes, definitely. And now we spoke about the importance of when you do connect with your GP, the fact that you can then have a, a private record of things that are going on. Is it also important in your experience for people in this situation who are victims of domestic and emotional violence and abuse to be recording themselves what's happening like keeping you know and for some people it's not going to be safe to keep a diary because if that diary gets found they're in more danger but for someone who feels they can somewhat safely keep track of what's going on for them is that suggested I think that it would be a good idea I think the reality sometimes, um, you know, being able to record something happen to you, happening to you, sorry, um, is difficult because often enough you don't know when things are coming. Um, In some situations, you know, you can kind of predict um, what may escalate a certain situation. You can kind of predict where where it's likely that, you know, um, you need to be a bit safer and, and then I guess you can, if you can do it in a safe environment, definitely record. But Personally, I have never gone into a situation thinking, right, I know exactly when this is going to happen and I will record it at that time. If my phone has been 
handy. Um, I have been able to, but there have been many a times that I couldn't. Um, I did. Sorry, what I'm I'm going to jump in there because yep. I I don't think I was clear and, and listening to you respond to that I was like I should have chosen my words better. <laughs> what I meant by record was to keep a record. To, yeah, absolutely, actually, yes. Yep. Not actually physically recording someone filming or voice recording. Yep. What I meant, sorry, was to keep a journal of going okay on the 10th of the 11th whatever I was kicked I was punched this happened it lasted this long yes just so that you've got things documented is what I is what I meant because of course you can't always predict when something's going to escalate and trying to record someone who is already angry and they're not a sound state of mind is dangerous as well yeah, I know that I had um, created an additional email address and I would email myself. Oh, that's a great tip to Yeah, and then I would delete the email because I wasn't – so, for example, I found – I didn't know this, but I found um, that – on a particular device, I was logged in under my email and I found that all the emails were kept and I had no idea that this was happening. I, and I think it was my son's iPad, for example. Um, and I remember I thought, oh, this is a bit dangerous. Um, but, again, I need to keep a record of what is going on because sometimes you, you, Kylie, honestly, Kylie, you lose track. Some some weeks are horrendous. Some days are horrendous. Some months are horrendous. Um, and then the cycle kind of goes you know, back to, to they call it the honeymoon stage, experts call it the honeymoon stage and things are kind of okay. But I remember that I created an alias email address and I would email myself and that would be date stamped. So I then had a clear record of what had happened when. Um, and to this day, it's very confronting to kind of still read through that, um, to, to read some information that I had sent back then. I can only imagine. So keeping a record of what's going on, um, heading to your GP, what else can someone in this situation do? I think if you can, um, plan ahead. So um, have a bag prepared where you have everything that you need because once you leave, you may not be able to go back and get it. So I'm talking about making um, certified copies of your birth certificate and keeping a copy of that certified copy of your birth certificate, Um, having your passport in a safe place so that if something happens and you don't have time to plan and you need to leave immediately, you already have this care bag that you can take with you um, and you're not completely stranded. I think, you know, if you can um, and if you are able to, just like I had created an alias um, email address, I'd also created um, another bank account so that when I, and, and my situation is different, I had planned to, I guess, leave the environment I was in. So I had time to create a, um, a an alias bank account so that when I went through the separation, needed to go to Centrelink, straight away I can give them the details that they needed um, instead of being in a situation where I'm completely frazzled and I don't know what to do and I'm going to Centrelink and they can't actually pay money into my account because the account that I have is is you know, owned and operated by somebody who's withholding funds. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And I'm really grateful for you sharing this practical advice. You're welcome. It's just, yeah, those I think, and and that was kind of where I struggled because I thought to myself, where, where do I start? Like, what do I actually do? (laughs) 
I want yeah. to leave, but where? Like, so what? Today I've decided to leave, and now what? You know, yes. like I, I, I have all my bank accounts are joined. I don't have access to a vehicle um, that's not owned by somebody else. So being able to, I guess, the very first stage of being able to call, to create a little bit of separation um, between yourself and the, and, and the individual that you're trying to um, move away from is really, really important because that gives you a little bit of autonomy and it gives you a little bit of um, control of the situation. Yes, absolutely. Now, can we spend just a little bit of time also speaking about emotional abuse? Because I think, again, it's kind of one of those grey areas of is it emotional abuse if your partner raises their voice at you or is emotional abuse them berating you? Like, I I just, I want to touch on this because I think, again, if we grow up and we're used to our parents emotionally abusing us, Mm. then that's a familiar feeling that can feel like love yeah definitely this is this is part of the parcel of being in love is having Mm. this as well so I guess what do you what would you say when it comes to emotional abuse I think emotional abuse as you've said is very tricky because it's fairly difficult um to kind of define I think emotional abuse is any action that requires you to behave in a different way that you're not comfortable in behaving. Um, you know, emotional abuse definitely goes hand in hand with manipulation. Um, emotional abuse definitely goes in hand um, with coercing you to do things that you don't want to do um, and blackmailing you into doing things. Um, emotional abuse definitely also goes into to alienating you from, from the people that are close to you. Um, so, for example, oh, why would you want to spend time with your sister? She doesn't love you anyway. That is, that's emotional abuse. You know, you, you know, you're creating the rift and, and the gap between um, someone that that individual A really cares about, their sister, um, and you're using it for your advantage, whatever that may be. Um, and I think emotional abuse really is difficult because often, um, you know, especially very early on in your in in your I guess, journey as a mother, um, you're deprived of sleep, you're focusing on another human. Um, women are often in that particular state accused of being overly emotional. Oh, you know, do you need to get your period, sweetie? Is that what the problem is? Actually, no, the problem is that, you know, from 12 o'clock until 8 o'clock you've used, you know, aggressive language towards me, you were intimidating me, you were doing X, Y and Z, and as a result of that I feel um anxious it's got nothing to do with sleep deprivation it's actually you um but i think we as women take a lot on and i think we justify a lot of actions that other people do um at that particular time when we're vulnerable Mm, i think it's really important to highlight what you mentioned there about emotional abuse can take so many different forms in terms of manipulation um Mm. you know manipulating how you act how you feel about yourself how you feel about other people also, I imagine emotional abuse is bullying. It's name calling. Yeah. Um, you know, you shouldn't, I don't want to say, oh, you shouldn't, but if you find yourself in a relationship where you are having someone talk down to you, call you names, and you feel like you're being bullied, that is a form of emotional mm. abuse. And so, would you say then in this situation, 
a similar trajectory of how we would encourage people who are experiencing domestic violence in terms of keeping a record of what's going on. Head to your GP because at least your GP can refer you to a counsellor and a therapist who can get, you know, work with you. Mm. Um, because emotional abuse, whilst it's not the physicality of being punched, it's not the actual bruise on the skin, it still can be debilitating. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think you, you've touched on it and that's, that's a great point. Emotional abuse is also not accepting no for an answer. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an environment where you're going over and over and over and over and over and over the same conversation and the other individuals is not accepting the answer as a no. So you spend a day, two days a week on the same topic and by the end of it, Kylie, you're so drained that by the end of it you just go, fine, whatever, I accept it. We will go holidaying with your parents for six weeks and I'll just take time off work. It is what it is. I just give up. And I think the more you do that, the more you realise, hold on, over the last year I've accepted this and this and this and this and this and I've never actually wanted to do any of that and the reason I accept it is because you wouldn't accept the answer no so you were actually emotionally abusing me you were bullying me into accepting what you wanted you were making me feel guilty when I didn't want to do something that you wanted me to do and in the end here we are where I'm you know feeling very resentful towards you I think sometimes again if we go back to the cultural aspect unfortunately for certain cultural um, communities or 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 communities of certain diverse um, backgrounds and and ethnic communities sometimes um, where the approach is that the male is the the dominant um, sex in a marriage or the female is the dominant sex in the marriage I think sometimes that can you know obscure a little bit of that what is expected and 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 what can we do and sometimes certain individuals are completely um oblivious and i guess i can only talk about my own community within my own community sometimes um where certain individuals with a male or female um, do take that, I guess, significant role of authority in a marriage where they are the decision maker, they know best, um, they will guide you through through the life. The head that of the can, family. Yeah, the head of the family. That can sometimes be difficult and some individuals are not even aware. So if we go back to, you know, what would, what would you do? Well, yes, you would definitely keep a record and you know whether or not certain things will escalate situations. So if you're experiencing this you know what the triggers are for 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 whether the male or the female the spouse or, or the partner you know if you mention to them hey what are your thoughts on going to see a counselor you know you know whether or not that would trigger them and they would then become physically violent or that would then be um you know an escalation and if you feel that it wouldn't be an escalation then i would definitely um recommend that um because it some people, as I said, are completely oblivious to is this really how it should be or is this how you were brought up um, and this is what you believe how things should be. Mm, which can be so hard when you're in the thick of it to sort of zoom out and get perspective on it when you don't have any other perspective, when your perspective yeah. is, yes, this is normal, so hard to zoom out. So I guess another question that I wanted to um chat with you about today Tiana is if you have someone in your life that you love and you care about and you suspect that they are in an emotionally abusive relationship or a physically abusive domestic violence 
um, situation, what do you do? I think um, I guess two things really, really stand out to me. Um, one thing is what to do and one thing is that what you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> um, the first thing is a very, very good dear friend of mine um, was always available and, and she was always supportive and she was my, um, I guess, safe space and I could share anything with her and she didn't judge me and I felt that at certain points in time there were individuals in my life where I couldn't be completely honest with them in regards to what was happening to me because I felt that I was often judged. Well, why don't you just leave? Well, why don't you just do that? Or they might yes, say... that's simple, yeah. Mm, why don't, they might say, well, oh, you know what they're like. Certain people just do that. And I think that at those times I really felt like um, those individuals were dim- diminishing um, my feelings and they weren't very supportive and they couldn't grasp the roll-on effects of what it actually meant to leave. Um, so I guess being supportive of your friends and being the safe sounding board and being someone um, who would be there to support them and, and knowing that they can come to you and this is a safe space, um, they won't be judged. Um, and that can be really tricky as a friend when you can see things and you're like, oh, you know, I can see you're such a good person or you have so much potential or, you know, life could be so much better. It can be really hard as a friend Mm -hmm. to actually just hold the space. And I think maybe even just actually verbally saying to someone that you care about, I am here to go around and around and around as Correct. many times as you need to. You know, I'm, I don't have any invested interest in making you take these actions or making you act a certain way and I'm not going to take it personally or think that it's a reflection of our friendship if you are okay. unable to get yourself out of the situation. I'm here for you, There, you know. Yeah. And my girlfriends and I, we have this conversation when it comes to other situations in life, you know, not um, abuse, abusive situations at all. And so not to minimize it, but conversations where, you know, they keep doing the same thing and that they might say, hey, I'm really sorry that I'm coming back to you with this same topic. And I'll say, I am here. Let's go yeah. round and round and <laughs> exactly. round as many times as you need to, babe, because yeah. whilst we're going round and around, we're also going up. You know, absolutely Kylie you know like one of those um things on a children's playground where yes. you're going down yeah. but you're yeah. moving you're actually so, moving yeah. yeah yeah so just actually saying to your friend hey I am your safe space and I'm going to hold yeah. this space for you and I think it's really important to focus on your friend not the situation and and I think when it comes specifically to my story I think I want to focus on my journey of growth and and personal development and not on the accused perpetrator I think that uh, at this stage I want to disassociate myself to the experience that I had and one of the things that one of my really close friends I can't mention her by name but one of my close friends is that um, what she did was she focused on me so she didn't focus on the situation that I was in. She focused on me. She focused on, um, you know, our love of reading books. So we would then, she would always, um, you know, give me good tips on what books to read to kind of get me into a bit of a healthier mental health space. And we would focus on taking our children to the park and then we would, um, you know, indirectly exercise. And I now, looking back on it, I know what she was doing, but she was doing it in such a gentle manner that, um you know, it, was, it wasn't it was confronting at all. 
Oh, that brings tears to my eyes because I'm just thinking she's nurturing the parts of you that she could reach. She couldn't reach in and fix all the other things, but she was just loving you in the only way that she had access to. Correct. And absolutely. And and I think that is really, really important. It's really important to do that for your friend and to know that, again, this is this domestic violence is something that they are going through. It's not something that defines them. Um, Similar to, you know, people experience homelessness. They are not homeless. Um, I experienced domestic violence. I'm not inherently a domestic violence victim right now. I experienced it previously. And I think Another thing that I wanted to say was something that you shouldn't do, I guess, and and I make light of it now, but I remember then when it happened to me that it was so, so sad. Um, one of my very good friends said to me at one particular point in time, um, oh, Tiana, um, I think, you know, I get what you mean and, and what, what happened to you was horrendous, but there are always two sides to every story. And I think actually the minute that you punch someone in the face, there is no side to your story. There are nothing in this world justifies anyone physically or verbally or mentally or in any way assaulting anybody. And the minute that you do that to someone, I feel that you've lost your side of the story. Um, We're not talking about self-defense here and I'm not talking about your life is in danger so you've punched somebody else. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you are perpetrating physical violence towards someone and you then try to explain why you did it. Um, As adults, when you are in a situation that makes you feel excessively angry and, 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 you know, aggressive as an adult, one would hope that you would leave, as in separate yourself from the environment that is causing you those emotions and that you wouldn't justify, oh, but I just punched her in the face because she was holding a rock and she was going to throw it at me. Um, That's not a justification. That was something that was very, very hurtful to hear at the time when I was at my most vulnerable. I can imagine because it takes so much courage to be vulnerable and share it and then to have someone turn around and say, well, there's two sides to every story. What you hear is your story doesn't carry very much weight. And that's not what you need to hear in that moment. And I think that there are situations in life, um, you know, and I don't want to misspeak, but there are situations in life where there has to be a hard line. Absolutely. If someone rapes, someone else we now have the knowledge to go okay likely someone who is out there raping you know and rapes someone commits this absolutely hideous crime they're not coming from a place of sound mental judgment mm. and there's very likely sexual abuse in their past or there's you know control issues there's something dark happening there for them and we can go okay yes this is not a healthy person correct but there is nothing in their past that lessens the fact that they took the action of raping someone so I can correct I guess what I'm trying to say is put that into context with as you're mm. talking about you know of course we know but there are, of course, two sides. In of terms course. Of there Absolutely. are why people are the way they are. Yeah. But what you heard in that moment when your friend said to you there are two sides, you heard your side is 
less weighty right now. Mm, absolutely. And I think that was something that was fairly confronting. I think another thing that was a bit confronting was also when at one, as I, said, I keep saying at one of the court hearings, because there were quite a few, but at a particular court hearing um, when I had applied for a domestic violence order and um, the judge had actually, uh, the opening statement of the judge had actually been to thank um, the respondent for showing up to the hearing. So the judge thanked the man for attending the court hearing where the man was being accused of domestic violence. And to this day... How low is our bar? Oh, exactly, Kylie. And I thought to myself, I thought, I mean, obviously to this day I find this shocking and I think I get it. Like I am not resentful and I understand people make mistakes. However, do you really, is that the approach that we're taking? Did you, why didn't you thank me for showing up? Why didn't you thank me for showing up to this hearing and to actually stand in front of the individual that I believe um, was perpetrating domestic violence against me? Why did I not get a thank you? Why did I have to justify again and explain myself for why I'm here? Because that's how I felt. And yet somebody else um, was thanked for attending. And I thought that's, we've set the bar pretty low. Mm, And it Um, all just adds so much weight to... I guess, understanding and having that bit of perspective and going, it's not easy for people to leave these situations and it's not easy to go to court and it's not easy to show up and share your story, particularly given that, you know, this person was still thanked. <laughs> yeah, it was just... It was turning up. Yeah, and I thought, um, oh, wow, okay, well, this is different, you know, approach and it was just, yeah... Um, that was very, yeah, it was very interesting to happen. And I think another, I guess, biggest learning was, you know, co-parenting as well um, in a space where as, as, as a mother you've, you want to protect your child, you know, you're fiercely protective of your child, but at the same time I am a big, big advocate of children needing to have both parents um, in their life, and I think that um, I'm a big believer for families where it works to have 50-50 shared care is very good for the children. Um, and then having to kind of look at that space and talk about co-parenting um, and, and try to kind of separate my experience um, from the individual and then separate my my experience um, as a mother and then separate it as a victim, if that makes sense. That was, um, again, a huge learning curve as well. It does. I can, I can only begin to imagine how hard that is to hold both of those experiences, to hold the experience of the abuse, but to also hold the experience of feeling as though your child is safe enough to be in that situation. I imagine for a lot of people, though, this fear of custody, and you just said 50-50, this fear of, you know, 50-50 custody stops people from exiting relationships oh, that are yes. unhealthy. So... And, and I mean, I mean that even in terms of I'm having women every day, Tiana, message me because obviously I shared the fact that, you know, a year and a half ago, um, our, I went through a marriage breakdown and all of that sort of stuff. So a lot of women feel very comfortable in reaching out to me yeah, and they'll say, imagine. I'm not happy in my relationship, but I cannot bear the thought of not having my children even one day a week, let alone 50-50. So I imagine that, you know, and that's in a relationship that is just not going well, mm. the the other side of domestic violence or emotional abuse. So for someone who's in a really dangerous 
relationship dynamic, the fear of not having their kids or having to share their children, that must really stop people from exiting these dangerous situations. What would you say to people who are in that situation? Like, you know, is it just a a case of explore your rights? I think that's really, really important. I think, um, I think, oh, it's a difficult question to answer, Carly, and I think you can tell that I'm a bit hesitant because I just, I have to choose my words so carefully. I would, I guess I would never encourage anyone to stay in a relationship or, or be in an environment that in any way endangers their children. Um, and I believe that if, if you honestly, genuinely believe that, um, you would be better off staying in an environment where you're being domestically abused because you think the worse evil is to leave, I would strongly recommend seeking, you know, like a professional help from a psychologist um, just to be able to differentiate, I guess, why you have those thoughts and why you believe that. And I think that's very, very individual. To, so I'm, I think I'm unable to give a broad enough answer that would cover everybody. I think specifically, though, um, I absolutely understand women who say, I'm in a relationship I want to leave, or men, I'm in a relationship I want to leave and I'm unhappy. However, my children are too young or my children um, wouldn't cope or I don't want to see my children less. I want to see them how much I see them. And I think that's, I I get that and I understand that. I think um, a little while ago I attended a workshop with um, a psychologist and something that that I really resonated with me um, from that workshop was that our responsibility towards our children is different to what our children's responsibility towards us is. So, for example, would you give your child, hypothetically, I don't know, chocolate for breakfast, lunch and dinner? You wouldn't. Well, why not? And we all know why not, because they need other nutrients, um, they need sustainability, they need to grow, they need this, they need that. So on the back of that, would you then therefore um, expect your children to be in an environment that's not good for them? just because you want to see them full time? And I think the answer for me at that particular time was um, no, I don't. So at least it cost me, I guess if you want to talk about it like that, it cost me seeing my son 50% of the time um, and that was done through a mutually agreed consent order um, through the the. Australian court system, um, we agreed um, to share 50-50% um, care arrangement of our child and that is better for my child than having 100% care in an environment that he used to be in. That is my belief. Okay, yeah, I understand. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Thank you for sharing that. And I guess it, it is one of those um areas that it's so tricky to answer and I know you're so um, beautifully aware to not misspeak and I'm grateful for that so I guess I what I would add to that is and again I'm who am I to add but hey you're listening to the podcast so I'm gonna (laughs) add what I would say is if you're in a situation and you're so afraid that 
leaving this situation means you would have shared custody and you fear for your children's safety and welfare because if you if you believe you know if you're in a in a dynamic where you're the one experiencing abuse but you have full faith and trust that they're an amazing parent that's a different thing but if you do not have faith that they are a great parent and your child is at risk explore your rights pick up the phone and ring legal aid legal aid is a free service you can speak to a lawyer and just get some more information because just the unknown so many people would hear that you know your experience is you have 50 50 custody and you went through a domestic violence situation and they would go oh that doesn't feel right to me but yes. that that's on that's because of their situation so your for anyone listening don't let the question mark or your assumption stop you from being informed. Find out your rights. And I can say that even with going through a separation myself, which had zero, zero things to do. I can't, I can't stress this enough with emotional abuse nor domestic violence. But even going through a separation that didn't have any of those things, I had to put aside my misconceptions and my assumptions and get really informed on my rights. So that would be what I would suggest anyone listening to do. Yeah. There's also um, a, um, an organisation called Women's Legal Service Queensland, and this is purely um, for women, but Women's Legal Service Queensland offers free legal advice for women in Queensland. So that was um, that was the service that I engaged in prior to kind of learning um, about, well, I guess as, as a process of learning what my rights were and what I needed to do. So legal aid is a great service as well. There's another one that's women's legal service that can um, help you out as well if you are experiencing that. Domestic Violence Queensland um, are able to assist in emergency situations and I think from memory they may be able to give you advice about what type of legal services would be right for you. Um, but yeah, women's legal services, um, one that I definitely approached. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'll make sure we put those in the show notes. And I know that for anyone listening, the thought of going through a relationship breakdown, particularly with children, and I can only imagine the extra stress that comes along and the trauma and the difficulty and the uphill battle that you know you're probably going to be facing, but one step at a time. You know, there's that famous quote about, like, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you can only eat an elephant one mouthful at a time. One task at a time, one day at a time. Absolutely agree. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, Before I let you go today, a couple of things. Where can our audience connect with you? Sure. So I... um can be contacted via um, beyondconflict.com.au and um, my social media um, and phone number are on that particular website. So they can either write to me or contact me via, you know, whatever they feel um, comfortable with, social media or directly through um, the website. What is your handle on Instagram just for anyone who might want to click follow? Who um, I'm good at it, <laughs> but um, I'm still working on it. So I'd love to, um, yeah, I'd love to to interact with people on Instagram. That sounds great. Okay, and what's your username? Is it Beyond Conflict as well? Yeah, Beyond Conflict. Okay, brilliant. Just so that we can add all of that. Awesome. And last but not least, 
I would love to end on a more personal note and get to know you as an individual, as you are now, and ask you some of our rapid fire questions. Sure. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So I would love to know, what would you identify as your best habit? I think my best habit um, has become to do meditation daily. Um, take five minutes out for myself and to start my day with meditation and I think it sets me up for the rest of my day. And do you do a, a guided meditation? Or a- I Yeah, I do. I do a guided meditation through Headspace. It's a free app and you can choose um, the length and I generally choose a breathing exercise along with it. Awesome. And do you have an annoying habit? I mean, we all have annoying habits, but what would you say <laughs> is your most annoying habit? Sure. Um, so I think my husband will tell you that um, when I get very excited, I tend to speak very, very quickly. Um, and I, uh, you know, my voice is raised and I become very passionate and I speak very, very quickly and people get very confused. So I, I have had feedback that people often say, like, you need to calm down. You're coming into a room like a tornado. So just, <laughs> you know, relax. <laughs> I love the tone of your voice. I find your voice really comforting. I've enjoyed oh, really? that today. <laughs> yeah, there's something about the tone of your voice that feels really familiar to me. And I'm like, oh, oh that's so good. Cool. Um, Wonderful. What is the last thing that you Googled? Oh, wow. Um, oh, yes, meal prep ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be more mindful of um, my eating habits and, and you know, con- portion control is terrible for me. So that is the last thing I Googled, quick and easy meal prep ideas. Oh, good one. Um, what is the last TV show or movie that you watched and really enjoyed? Um, I'm not a big fan of TV, actually. Um, Oh my gosh, married at first sight. I'm not a fan of reality TV, but my husband and I are absolutely hooked on married at first sight. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> it did. There's just something about <laughs> sitting down and just allowing yourself to slip into that judgmental yes. space. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I feel I'm, like I'm just, you know, I feel like I need to kind of put like a disclaimer. I'm not one of those people, but, and then you're like, one of what people? Everybody loves Married at First Sight. I'm like, actually they do. It's such a good show. <laughs> and it's one of those things that it's like, I, it is a guilty pleasure for me, those sorts of shows, because so much of the show goes against what I actually believe in. Absolutely. But I, but I, I know. I, I agree. I, it's like I take my good person hat off for like an hour. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to let the judgments fly. <laughs> yep. And it's yeah, funny because I ended up, um, I think it's awesome, like the way that social media you can, well, you feel like you can interact with these people afterwards. And um, when you follow their private social media pages and you read in the newspaper about these things, I'm like, I, okay, that's taking it too far. I'm not going to add anybody on Instagram. <laughs> I will just watch them for an hour. <laughs> yes, it can be a slippery slope, but that's great. Yes. I love that you shared that. Now, do you have a favourite book? Hmm. Not at the moment. I think I'm one of those people that um, definitely changes. I'm a bit of a chameleon and I think dependent on my um, 
the phase that I'm in my life. I think I'm intrigued by different things. Um, crime novels are definitely my guilty obsession. I just finished reading, uh, it's called Dear Wife, and the writer, I've forgotten um, the name of the writer, um, but absolutely enjoyed. So I love, you know, crime and, and thrillers and things like that. It's nice to sort of lean into different genres at different seasons yes. of your life. I know sometimes I go really hard on re- reading personal growth and development books and then I'm like, oh, I'm tapped out. Give me a story. Yes. Let me escape into an actual novel. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Now, not that we are flying anywhere anytime soon, but if you were to be on a long-haul flight, who is one person, dead or alive, Live that you've never met but you feel you would want to be sat next to for a long period of time? Hmm, that's a good question. Dead or alive or that I have never met? Um, I think I'd like to be next to Nikola Tesla. Um, he invented um, electricity and I think he would be an absolutely intriguing character to be around based on the little bits that I've read about him. I think um, his, from my understanding, is that his heritage is Serbian, so I think that would be interesting considering that's my heritage too. So it would be good to um, kind of get to know him a bit better. Absolutely. It's funny that you selected <laughs> him for your long-haul flight because he he has popped up in so many different podcasts that I've been listening to lately. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah, universe, another little cosmic wink. Absolutely, um, yeah. Absolutely. Last but not least, what are some words to live by or a favourite quote? I think that I definitely um have a a favorite quote this is more i guess on a professional space if that makes sense um i work in hr so i obviously work and and manage people and i think it's really really important um to be a good leader and one of my favorite quotes at the moment is from gail kelly um who was or is the ceo of westpac and it says if you believe in practicing generosity of spirit you believe in the power of an individual to make a difference you treat individuals with deep respect and you want to see others flourish Um, And that is definitely what I live by. I want people that work with me or in my team or the people that I lead, I want those individuals to grow and to feel supported um, and to feel like they are contributing to something really, really amazing. And I definitely go out of my way to show deep respect regardless of who I work with. Um, I I will always show them um, deep respect and um, just a general love for people. That's so nice. And again, um, yeah, speaking of cosmic winks, I've been listening a little bit to Brene Brown's newest podcast on leading. And just the episode I listened to yesterday, she was speaking about how it's so important as a leader to have affection for your people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny, Kylie, because people often think that um, if you have, you know, appreciation for people and, and if you are supportive and you're not and I don't like to words that phrase don't like to use the word 
you know, mean, but if you're not a mean leader, if you're genuinely kind and nice and and wanting your your peers and, and people that you lead to succeed, that that's a weakness. And I definitely don't see it as that. I think that female leaders are absolutely fierce and I don't think that we need to be bitchy in order to achieve that. Absolutely. Amen. Well, <laughs> it has been such a joy to speak with you about a really hard and sensitive topic. Um, I'm so grateful for your time, your knowledge and sharing your experience today with our community. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will have taken um, a lot away from this conversation. So again, thank you so much. Thank you, Kylie. You have been on my vision board for a little while. (laughs) Since January this year. So the fact that um, we are actually speaking to each other has just been absolutely mind-blowing. I am on cloud nine and thank you for sharing my story. I really, really appreciate your time. You can go and get a big fat Sharpie now and put a big cross through me. (laughs) No, I think I'm going to put a heart around it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kylie. Have a good day. (laughs) 